There are some things this time of year that I do like, and one of those things is college football. So, like, now, cards on the table, I don't actually get to watch a lot of college football, right? So I've got two little kids, and so, like, watching college football all day Saturday is just not my reality. But I do follow college football, right? I'll get the ESPN app, and I'll throw, scroll through uh, the, the scores because I like being a part of conversations because, like, the sociology around uh, football fans is just fascinating to me. Like, I love seeing the different responses. And what I especially love about this time of year is that this is about the time of year where they're about five games in. And so one of these things that happens in college football every year are there's some teams that start off really hot, right? They start, they start off and they start winning right from the start. And then all their fans start going nuts, being like, this is the year. We're going to go all the way. We're going to win it all. We're going to go undefeated. Like, this was Nebraska last year, right? They got to be like 7-0, and oh, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, we're like ranked in the top 10. This never happens anymore. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, it was an average year at best, right? Like, that's just kind of how it, and then, or, or this, this past, uh, you had to know I was going here, Rick, but Rick's beloved Sooners, may they rest in peace this week. <laughs> so they came off to a pretty good start, right? They got a good win over Ohio State. They're ranked. It's looking like if they went out, they might get into the playoff games. Like, this is a big deal. And then out of nowhere, they get blinded by Iowa State, right? Like, I, Iowa State, they didn't even have a team last year, I don't think, right? They, like, they, they got informed that day that it wasn't two-hand touch. Like, this team, and they come out of nowhere, and they beat Oklahoma. And then what's fun is you get to see how the fans react. And so you have everything from, like, excuses, like it was a fluke. If they played 10 more times, it never happened. Uh, you can, you, you, or you'll say things like, I'm never watching football again. It's a stupid sport. I'm done with it. Rick, this is what he said today. <laughs> like, never again. Really, that's a little drastic. But, but seriously, and then, so when this loss comes, we don't really know how to respond. And there always is, like, this chaos that comes out of it. And, I, and so what we see today in Acts 4 is, is how the disciples respond when chaos seems to come out of nowhere. Because when, when they're in a similar situation to, that, to, to the Oklahoma Sooners, uh, how, how is it that they respond? Because up until this point, like, they've seen unprecedented favor by God uh, in the mission of God going forth. So uh, Jesus ascends into heaven. He's like, wait for the Holy Spirit. They gather in a room. They're praying. And the Holy Spirit comes on them and begins to empower them, embolden them. He gives them uh, the ability to speak different languages. And they bust out in the streets. And in these different languages, begin to preach the gospels to all sorts of people. Like all around. And they're just, they're just preaching like crazy. Peter comes up and it kind of gives the overarching sermon. This is what's going on. They're not drunk. Everything's fine. McGill preached about this last week. Uh, and then preaches the gospel and clearly lays forth that Jesus is the coming Messiah that has always been promised. That Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. And it's only through him that we can be saved. And then 3,000 people get saved. Like that's crazy. And then it says that then as they gather together, like the news must have got out because it's like people are getting added to their numbers on the daily. Like daily people are being added. So this thing is growing at a rapid pace. The next thing we see is chapter 3 where, where they're headed to the synagogue to, they want to go and they're going to go there and preach the gospel some more. Uh, and, and on the way they see this, this man who is lame from birth. He couldn't walk from birth, di- disformed, uh, 
and, and then they, he, he asked them, like, what, hey, well, can you give me some money? Right? And they're walking past this guy, and they're like, well, I, sorry, man, we don't, we don't have any money to give you, but we, what we do have is Jesus, so stand up and walk. And so the guy, and it says he jumps up and, and, and starts walking around, right? And so this opportunity, everybody's, uh, he walks into the course, people see him, they're like, okay, we know this guy, he's been lame his whole life, and now he's walking around what's going on here. And then again, the disciples use this opportunity to preach the gospel. And this time, it's not just met with, like, reception. There are people who receive it, as we'll read, but then it's also met with rejection, like there are people that receive, and there are people that reject this message this time. And so this is the first instance in the book of Acts that we're going to be going through today where we see the uh, persecution enter the church. The first time the gospel advancing is actually met with hostility, the first time we see the darkness that's being pushed out kind of pushing back. And so that's what we're going to look at in Acts 4. If you want to open up your Bibles with me, while you're doing that, I want to plug this. This is our Acts reading plan. Uh, it is not too late to jump on this train. We want to read through the book of Acts this semester. We're not going to be able to preach through the whole book just by nature of we only have a certain amount of Tuesday nights available, but we want to make sure that you get every word in your brain. So this is a reading plan that re- goes verse by verse through the book, and we want to encourage you all to follow along with us with that. Um, so hopefully you're there by now. I'm going to start reading right at the beginning of chapter 4. This is what happens in the uh, as this is the reaction to their proclamation of the gospel and the blind man being healed, or the lame man being healed. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. These are the religious leaders, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So we see some really big contrasts here, right? Like we have, the, we have 5,000 being added, like 5,000 people, which kind of makes sense. Like I've seen this guy my whole life, and now he's walking. All right, I'm going to listen up to what this guy has to say. But then we have these religious leaders that actually respond in the exact opposite way. Like, like their first thought is, like, I don't like what they're saying, throw them in prison. And you know what? It's getting kind of late. We'll wait and talk to them about it tomorrow, right? Like, we're just going to throw them in there. We'll let them sleep on it. We'll let them sleep in the, in the cell for a while, and we'll see how they respond. So um, have you ever been in a place where the gospel hasn't been received like you thought it would? Like where, where you shared a message, you shared what you thought was good news, you shared what you thought was an encouragement to them, uh, and, and, it just, and it just fell flat or it backfired in your face. Like if you have uh, some experience sharing the gospel, you know that this is a definite possibility that comes out. But there are times where, where your good intentions don't really matter much and it's not met uh, with, with favor but with hostility. Um, and and honestly, most of the time, this is going to be apathy, right? So this is my experience. Most of the time, it's not uh, overt hostility towards, towards me sharing the gospel. Most of the time, it's going to be like, you know what? I heard this. I see what you're saying. Not really that interested. You do you. I do me. We'll be fine, right? This apathy, just not interested. 
And then there are going to be these other times where it's actually met with hostility, where, where for, for some reason the person's going to believe that there's something on the line. Like there's something at stake here that we got to deal with. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons this can happen. Like, so sometimes you'll, you'll get the person where they have some past hurts and wounds that, that your, your message actually bears some weight on. So like these wounds are kind of hurt and you, you bring some emotions back up in them that, they are, that they're very aware of at the time. Or, or your implications for those wounds. Like, there's a loving God, and it's like, well, well, what does that mean for this situation back here? Like, your implication actually gives me more pain, and so I don't like you presenting me with this. There's some people that feel like it's their need to kind of protect others. Like, this isn't true. The world would be a better place if this just wasn't preached at all, and so we just need to get past this uh, secular humanism. If people just band together, we can do, accomplish way more than anything having to do with Jesus. Uh, there are going to be times where people just don't want to be told what to do. They see this is what it, it kind of would mean for their life to follow, and they're looking past your, your gospel and looking to the implications and saying, no, I don't want that. I don't like where that's headed. I don't like the implications. They just see the, it as a burden. And so there's lots of reasons that this can be met with hostility, and this is a very real possibility, and this is kind of what we're seeing here in the text. So uh, if, if you see, like, the, the disciples are already on megachurch status within, like, what it seems like a couple of days, right? We preach the gospel, 3,000. Daily, more, more, more. Big preach of the gospel, 5,000. Like, it's, it's exploding. And the religious leaders see this and see that they are losing influence with the people. There's some things at stake here for them. Like, we're, hold on, we don't like what he's saying, we don't like that he's leading people into this, and we're losing influence, we're losing power, and so we're going to, to shut this down. We're going to lock them in prison, and we're going to wait till tomorrow, and we're going to get this straightened out. This is the hostility, because there's something on the line. And so this is going to be something common that we see. And so this is, uh, let's keep reading, let's look at the trial here, and then we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high priest's family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So, so what they did is they brought uh, Peter and John in and they, they set some options before them. Right? So they, they, said, they, they came and, like, picture the context here. So they came in. They had just spent the night in a prison cell. Like, let's lock them in a cell. Let's, let's shake them up. Uh, let's bring them in, in into this culture where freedom of speech is just not on their radar. Let's sit them down in front of us, encircled by all these, like, self-righteous, self-absorbed religious leaders who think they know what's best. And then let's ask them this question. By what name do you say this? Now, Context is going to lead me to believe that they're not curious right now. They're not, one, they're not like, you know, you, I, I see this. I'm, I'm really interested. Like, tell me about what you're doing. Like, they're, they're not wondering here. Like, their question is not, tell me about this. It's, who do you think you are? By what name do you think you're doing this? By, by, by whose authority do you come in here and preach these things? Like, how dare you is the implication in this question. So right now, they, they lay the gauntlet down before Peter and John. Like, what, what are they going to answer? That's the tension in this text. Like, are they going to try to, are they going to apologize? 
Are they going to back away? Are they going to um, deny it? Are they going to play it off? Like, like, I know me, I'm probably thinking, like, I can talk my way out of this, right? Like, <laughs> if I can talk my way out of a parking ticket, I can talk my way out, like, you know, you get a speeding ticket and you try to, like, your instant, in, like, even if you're guilty, you try to talk your way out, right? And so that's what I would expect. That's what I probably see in myself. It never works, but you're going to try. <laughs> like, so, and Peter instead just goes for it. I love this. We're going to keep reading in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done, I lost my place, done to a crippled man, by what means has this man been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter goes for it. Like he just preaches this with full boldness. And so what I want us to see here, and in the book of Acts, I think when they're met with opposition, because we're met with the same opposition, we have a lot to learn from them. We have a lot that we can model after and see how they did things. And the thing that he responds here in the first point is that the disciples preached boldly, and so we must preach boldly. He just goes for it. Like, there's no wiggle room. He had complete freedom to say what he wanted. Like, I mean, the, the stone which you rejected, the guy you killed, like, Whose name do you do this? Jesus, the one you killed, the one you rejected, he's the cornerstone, he's the one we're building this all around, and there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter preaches this message with a clarity and boldness that I think we should model ourselves after. Now, I want to do some work on boldness because there are some of you in here who are, let's say, confident. Maybe loud, right? That you, you, if, if it's a conversation, your voice is going to be the one that gets heard, right? That was how my family dynamic worked. It wasn't whose turn was it to speak, it was who spoke the loudest, right? That's kind of what we did. And the, you can hear the voice of my brother over top of everybody's laugh. So, right? Like, this is just kind of the culture we were in. And so I have a terrible job, interrupt, terrible time interrupting people. It's just going to be a reality. So, but this is not the boldness they're talking about here. Right? So Peter, this wasn't a power grab on Peter's part. Like He didn't turn the tables and it's like, now what do you have to say? Like He's still fully defenseless on, on trial. But he speaks with a type of freedom, a type of clarity, that I think models what boldness should actually look like. John said this a couple of weeks ago, and I really liked his definition, that boldness is just a freedom to speak. It's a freedom to just say whatever God's put on your heart without any fear of the repercussions, without any fear of what, what's going to happen now, how are they going to respond, are they going to reject, like, how, like, take that all off the table. A freedom to just say what is true without worry. That's, that's true boldness. Peter just says, listen, the guy you rejected, the guy you killed, there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved other than him. 
Peter didn't soften his message, but instead drew a very clear line. Now, boldness, we've got to remember that boldness is this clarity because it does no one good for you to preach the gospel as an offensive jerk, right? So we've all, we've all been there where we, we've, or we've seen these, these, oppor- these times where people come in and with no regard to the past hurts of the person, with no regard to their current mental state, with no regard with the, the, the stress that comes from your whole paradigm being challenged, with no regard to the soul and just saying, I know exactly what you need. Just like they, they don't come in to try to win a person over and woo them to the truth. They don't come to just draw a line and say, this is the reality. They come to win an argument. They come to make you believe. Like, this is not the t- type of boldness we're talking about here. It, do, it doesn't really do you much good to try to persuade, to try to per- trick somebody into the faith. Your argument is not what changes a per- crosses a person over from death to life. The Holy Spirit working in their life, convicting them of sin, and their response to that truth, enabled by the Holy Spirit, is what crosses somebody over from death to life. So your job is to draw the line. It's the Holy Spirit's job to cross them over that line. So boldness is that type of clarity. Now, this isn't always going to happen, and it's not always going to be received well because the gospel message in and of itself is offensive. Like, drawing that line is offensive. People don't generally... Like, the, the gospel is like, you by nature are rebellious, you, by nature, want to do what you want to do, and you will go and do, you'll rebel against God, you'll rebel against society, you'll rebel against your parents. I'm going to go do what I want to do. Right? We are hopelessly guilty before God in that regard. We have no hope but cleaning, of cleaning ourselves up and making it up to God. Like, we are utterly hopeless and in need of a Savior. And in my experience, People don't like to be called hopelessly rebellious. Like, that's not, that's not what they're signing on their resume. Like, on their business card, doesn't, doesn't read guilty. Like, like, that's not what people love. They don't love being told that. But if it's the truth, then that's, that's what we've got to preach. It's an offensive message, but I would argue that preaching this offensive message is actually the most loving thing you can do. So it is a loving thing to give somebody news, even if it hurts. So uh, about two weeks ago, we had our City Light staff prayer at City Light Benson because there was a bomb threat on this building. So that really happened, so that's a fun little fact. But uh, we, so we were at Benson because of the bomb threat, and we, we, kinda, we got through our staff prayer. We're standing around. We're kind of praying some more in some huddles. And my good friend Taylor Venema, who's also on staff here, says, listen, brother, I love you, and I'm saying this because you're my brother. Your coffee breath is atrocious right now. (laughs) Right? And so I respond, I mean, obviously I respond by throwing some insults back at him because I felt insecure, but that just is what it is. But I'm super happy that he felt the freedom to do that. We've known each other for a long time, and so he felt the freedom to approach me with some news I wasn't going to like. And I'm so happy he did, so I can go get myself right. I can get some mints or brush my teeth. I can figure something out. But if he doesn't tell me, then I don't know. Then I'm just walking around, talking to everybody else, and everybody's just slowly backing away from me. I'm like, what's going on? Like, I, like we don't want that. I want him to tell me when things are wrong. 
Like, I want you to tell me if there's something in my teeth or if my fly is down. Not now I'm all self-conscious about it. I'm going to be thinking about it. I'm going to assume it's not and keep going. So it's sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to tell somebody news they don't want to hear. When we preach the gospel, we're not trying to be this, this bold person that wins somebody over with some really well-thought, persuasive argument. We want to clearly lay a line down before somebody that they're not going to want to hear and say, this is the reality, and, and then let the Holy Spirit do his job in winning them over and wooing them over. This is the type of boldness that they walk in through Acts. Like, they just lay it out here. Is this the message? Like, Peter preaches the very message he got thrown in prison for. There's no fear, no shame. Like, this is what it is. God's working, and so I'm just going to tell you what he's doing. And this is the type of boldness I want to just kind of be over us at City Light U. No shame, no guilt, no fear of how people are going to respond. Because I know myself, and I, I, we'll get to that later. Okay, point two. The second thing we see them do is we see them testify boldly. Right? So look at me here, look at this with me here in verse 13. Now, when they saw, this is the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Listen, if you ever wanted a life verse, that's the one I feel like characterizes me. Man, that guy doesn't know anything about what he's doing, but he must have been with Jesus or something, right? Like, what a good, what a good message there. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God, right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you've got to be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. And for the man on whom this sign was healed, for the man on whom this sign was healed, this sign of healing was performed, was more than 40 years old. So like, these religious leaders, their first thought is, shoot, we can't deny this. Like their proof is literally walking around telling uh, people about it. Like literally walking around. Like we can't deny this. We know they've been with Jesus. We know God's on a sign. How, what do we do? Let's just tell them to stop. Like how do, what do we, like they huddled together and I'm thinking, isn't it pretty obvious? Believe. Like that's the right response. But, but what we see is that their response is not in belief because even with a perfect testimony before them, there was, that, that is not what saves people. So let's talk testimony. A couple things about your testimony. I think testimonies are one of the greatest tools we have for evangelism. 
You being able to display your, 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 put forth your life and say, this is who I was, and by the grace of God, God working in me, and this is who I'm going, he's working me towards. This is how I'm changing, this is who I'm becoming, is one of the most, one of the best evidences of the power of God in, in, in around us. Like, when people see that, they can't take that from you. Like, this is who I was, this is who I'm becoming, that's, that's a sign for all to see. But this is not the gospel message. Your testimony, your changed life, again, has no power to bring people from death to life. It has tremendous value in pointing people to the gospel that brings them from death to life, but it has no power to actually do it in and of themselves. Like, so a testimony, like if people just saw this, if people just witnessed this thing, if they just saw this healing, if they just saw this complete radical change of life, then they would believe is not actually what we see in the scripture. These people saw a healing of a man that's been lame his whole life, couldn't walk his whole life. At 40, he's healed and walking around, and their, thing is, their first thought is, how do we cover this up? People don't become Christians because they saw something cool. It's the Holy Spirit working their lives to, to confirm the truth of the gospel in their hearts. So I want to submit to you that the gospel, or that, that testimonies, are a great tool for us to use in order to point to the gospel. They, they do point to their testimony. They do say, we can't help but, but talk about what God's seen. But what we see through the book of Acts is these great sign gifts, these things, like these miracles, are always used as a point to, to prepare people for hearing the gospel. So tongues come down, they start speaking in other languages, people look, and Peter preaches the gospel. This guy gets healed, he starts walking around, people all wonder, and then they preach the gospel. Like these gifts over and over are used as opportunity to preach the gospel. And I want to say that our testimony needs to be used in the same way. This is the power of God in my life. This is what he's doing right now. This is who I was, this is how he's changed me, this is what he's working in me, this is what I've seen and these, this changed life of yours grants us an opportunity to point to the one who changes lives. This is who I was, this is who I'm becoming, and this is who's working in me. This is who saved me from my old life. This is who, crossed, who had me cross over from death to life. This is who sent his spirit to work into me to change my desires, to change my appetite, to change my identity, what I take my value from. He's, he's working in me. These external changes need to point to internal changes by a God who alone does that. So I want us to be a people that are bold with our testimonies. I want us to be out front and open, like, these are my flaws, these are my hurts, these are the things that, that have been, uh, been eating at me for years, that have, that have been threatening to wreck my life, and then God came in and now he's, he's ridding me of those. I'm not perfect, but he's, he's turning me into something. He's taking me somewhere because that's the kind of God he is. Let me tell you about that God. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's the God that rescues people from death. He's the God that works in our lives and changes us. We want us to be people that, that boldly use our testimonies to proclaim the gospel. Now, I want to keep teasing this out a little bit uh, because there's this cultural narrative playing out right now that it's offensive and intolerant 
to tell somebody what they need to believe. I don't need to tell this to you because you've seen this. Like, like, whoa, whoa, who are you to say what I need to believe? That may be true for you, but that's not true for me. Who are you to say that you've got the right answers and everybody else is wrong? And so I would say that it's not intolerant but loving once again. Uh, and that our testimonies is our proof. Our testimonies are our proof that the God's inner working power. Like, like you can't convince me. Like, if, if somebody had asked me, like, can, I, can, you, can, can I convince you that Jesus isn't alive? That Jesus isn't real. He isn't what he said he was. And I'd say no. I've seen him. I've walked with him. I've interacted with him. Like you can't convince me. And that doesn't mean I'm closed-minded. It's mean, meant that I've been with Jesus. So like you, in the same way, you can't convince me that I don't have a mother. Right? Like no, you're, you're closed-minded. You just assume that you have a mother and no one could ever talk you out of that. It's like, well, of course not. I've been with her. I've talked with her. I've seen her. I've lived with her. Like you can't talk me out of that. And in the same way, like I've been with Jesus. You can't talk me out of this. So as confidently as I tell you, like guys, I have a mother. Jesus, I have a savior. Jesus is alive. I've seen him. I've walked with him. Let me tell you about him. Let this mark us as a people. So the third thing that I think we see is that the disciples pray boldly. So they proclaim boldly, they testify boldly, and they pray boldly. Like, so they, like, they're, they're praying prayers here that I think are a little uncomfortable, me, uncomfortable for me to pray. So they, they let them go, they go back to their friends, and they start saying like, okay, they, they give an account to what just happened. We were preaching the gospel, this guy got healed, it was awesome, and then we got thrown in prison overnight. And then they let us go, and they said to stop preaching the gospel, and we said, no way, man. Uh, and then so here we are. Like, and so they all start praying together in one voice, in one accord, and they start praying about the Old Testament scriptures that talk about how this was always going to happen, that Jesus himself was persecuted, he promised that we would be persecuted, and then look where they go in verse 19. Or no, not 19, sorry, 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That is not the prayer I think I would have prayed in that situation. Like my instant prayer would have been, God, please don't let us go to prison again, right? That seems like a pretty obvious, like that's a lob ball prayer. Like, okay, that thing, I don't want to do that. Like, but that, that wasn't even on their radar. Like, as these threats continue to come, please help us to preach with boldness. Let us not shy away. Let us clearly lay before everybody the full truth because that's going to be our tendency. Keep bringing signs and let that be opportunity for us to lay forth the good news of the gospel. Like we want this boldness to characterize us. And so they're asking God to work in them in such a way that they do what they wouldn't have otherwise done. That he creates a boldness that doesn't come from this swagger that they have, but God working in their hearts to, to just clearly put the message before people. They don't pray for the persecution to stop, but for boldness. And I, and I think of how often I think, I pray, and I, and I hope for receptivity in my preaching of the gospel. 
Like, if I think about when, how, I mean, if I really examine myself, most of my thoughts and prayers center around, like, will you make them receptive? Will you provide me an opportunity, like, like show me just the right time that when I preach, they'll accept? And I just kind of wait for that perfect time to come. My mind is set on, will they receive? How are they going to respond? And the disciples' mind here is set on themselves. It's set on how, how are we going to respond? They didn't even pray for, like, receptivity. Like, they, they know God's working. That's his promise. That's what he's been doing. But pray, give us boldness. Like, how different would that be if my thought was not, will they receive, but will I preach? Sure, some will receive, some will reject, but I'm going to just lay the truth out there, even when I think it's going to get rejected. Even when it could go badly, even when the timing's not right. Like, what if I thought less about how it'll be received and much more about faithfulness to what God's calling me to? To preach his truth, to make disciples of all nations, to lay before them the truth of the gospel. Like, how different would that be if that was my prayer? Because this, and this helps us get out of this response-based evangelism. Like, Rich always is, I'll give you props on this, he always brings this up, that it, it has le- successful evangelism is proclaiming the gospel and leaving the results up to God. I think that's also crew, which they're so-so. Uh, it's, it's preaching the gospel, the full truth, and leaving the results up to God. Like, it's, it's not up to me whether they receive or whether the timing was right. I'm just going to lay this before them and leave the results up to God. The promise of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts is that he is working. He's going to be with us. He's working. He's convicting people of sin. He's bringing them forward so that when the truth is proclaimed, it lights up their hearts because they finally have an answer to their conviction. Like This is what he does. And that same Holy Spirit is alive today working at UNO, working at Metro, at your job, at wherever you are in your house, in your family, with your roommates on your dorm floor, whatever it is, that same spirit is convicting hearts and wooing them over. And we get to walk in the same kind, like the exact same kind of boldness that the disciples had. Like we get to lay the gospel out there and see people cross over from death to life because he's working, he's moving. Like he's inviting us into this. And so many times I'm just... I'm just focused on, like, i got to create the right time. i got to get the right scenario. Like, it's not about their receptivity. It's about my faithfulness. Oh, that my prayers would center around me being a faithful witness rather than people being receptive hearts. If I thought a lot, much less about the response. So this is, so this is why I love what, what Dustin and Clayton are doing. So for those of you who don't know, like, they got together on campus today with, with some of you and some students and just preached the gospel, walked around getting stories, caring for people, uh, and, and laying before them the truth. This is what we believe. This is what we've seen in our lives. Like, they're just doing it. And as much as I'm like, I've got this weird kind of rebellious thing I do where, like, if I'm supposed to do it, I don't want to. So can anybody else identify with that? I'm not alone, right? Like, if you, like it's, the minute you tell me I need to do it, now I don't want to. Like, <laughs> don't force me into it. So, like, this whole, like, from one to three, we're going to be on campus. To, like, I don't like that, and, but, but it's so good for me. 
Like, it's, it's not just some program we put together. Like, we want to get you to sign up on a sheet and then show up and just kind of check the... Like, that's not at all our interest is to get a program. But we know God is working on the campus, and if we don't set it on the calendar, we're not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to do it if it's not on my calendar. Like, I run by that thing. It's like, oh, free time? All right, I'm going to sit down. Like, that's... I'm not going to do it unless it's written in there. And so what we want to do is provide opportunities where we're going to be like, this is a time where we can be a faithful witness. This is a time where we can get on campus, do what's uncomfortable, proclaim the good news, and let God do what he's going to do because he's working. We believe he's working on hearts. We believe he's, he's winning people over. And this is why I love it. It's a, di- it's, it's a discipline of me being faithful. Lord, help us be a people that are bold in sharing our faith. Help us be a people that are going to clearly lay the gospel out for all to hear, regardless, without fear, without worrying about it being rejected, without worrying how people are going to respond and just clearly lay the truth before them. So let me wrap this up. If you are an unbeliever in the room, like you, you're not quite all in for Jesus, you haven't accepted him, you don't know about this thing, you're checking it out, I want to encourage you, first off, I'm glad you're here. And I want to tell you that Jesus is working. He's working all around you. This room is filled with people that can say, this is who I was, this is how God's been working, and this is where he's taking me. Wait, like, I've seen this God work in my life. I know his voice. I hear him moving, and, and, and I'm not fully there. I don't, hear, I'm not, I don't know him as well as I need to, but I see him working and moving me into something. I see the power of God. I see him winning people all around me over from death to life. I see identities being changed. I see... Uh, desires being modified. Like, I mean, I see him working. Jesus is working around you. And I would say, honestly, like the Holy Spirit's working on you right now. Like if you're an unbeliever here, like you're, you, you don't believe this, but you're in a church, right? Like most of the time, people don't just go to gatherings without some sort of prompting for some reason. Like if you're here and you're not a believer, I'm confident the Holy Spirit's wooing you He's testifying that there's, there's something here. There's something going on. And, and would you just continue to press in? Would you continue to listen to that? And then let me lay before you that, that Jesus is actually what he's testifying to. What the Holy Spirit does is he lifts up and makes much of the name of Jesus because there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so would you believe in the name of Jesus? Like Jesus says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Like the, the offer is, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Will you find rest? Will you find true identity and satisfaction in Jesus alone? Because that's what the Spirit is drawing you into. And if you're in the room and you're a believer, which I know some of you are in here, Jesus is moving. Jesus is working. The same message goes to you. Jesus is working all around you. He's bringing people from death to life, would you join him? Would you clearly lay that gospel out there, knowing that, that any, like any kind of like, we, we want to preach the gospel in a way that if anybody's offended, it's because of the gospel itself. Not because of anything we did. Like, people are going to be offended by the gospel. They're not going to want to hear it. But, but let's lay that before them and let them be offended by the gospel. And then let's like, not lose sleep when we do. The rejection's not really of us. It's of Jesus. That's what he said. It's like, they're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But I still want you to proclaim this message. Would we be a people that walk in this boldness, where we boldly proclaim the gospel? 
We boldly share what God's doing in our lives, and then we pray for more boldness as we go. May this mark us as a people. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you did in the book of Acts, that you've recorded it for us, that we may hear uh, and be encouraged by this, Lord. Uh, Seeing how they're moving, seeing the faithfulness of them to proclaim even when it's hard, uh, and, and giving them that freedom, Lord, we, we want to walk in that freedom. I want each of these students to walk in that freedom where, where there's no fear. There's no worry about wh- if I say this, how will people respond? There's no, no, no worry about, like, will I be accepted? Will I be rejected? Will there be, will there be awkwardness? What, like, what's going on? Like, Lord, free us from that. Let us walk with a peace and, and just an excitement knowing that, that you're already working and we just get to kind of partner with you. Let us, let us live with our heads on a swivel, looking for, for where you're moving and just simply laying the truth out there, knowing that we're proclaiming a victory that's already been won. Lord, let us be a people marked by a love for you and a love for your word and the desire to see more and more people enter into the true joy of knowing you. And so we ask this for your name, Jesus. Amen.